So the, the time of this summit is a time of partnership, of collaboration, of deals, closing deals, of advancing uh, uh, the uh, investment, advancing trade, advancing inclusive prosperity. That will just happen after COP. President Biden announced the U.S. strategy towards Sub-Saharan Africa on August 8, 2022. In this episode, we examine the goals of the strategy and how it differs from how previous administrations have approached U.S. relations with Africa. What tangible actions will ensure the success of the administration's strategy? What does the realization of this vision mean for the future of the region? Dr. Laundry Signet joins us to discuss the Biden administration's Africa strategy. Dr. Landry Senior is a senior fellow in the Global Economy and Development Program and the Africa Growth Initiative at the Brookings Institution, where he focuses on the political economy of Africa and developing countries, state capacity and policy implementation, and global governance and sustainable development. He also serves as the co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Regional Action Group on Africa and is the executive director of and professor at Arizona State University's Thunderbird School of Global Management in Washington, D.C. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Hopkins Podcast on Foreign Affairs. Professor Signet, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So to start us off, uh, President Biden released the long-awaited, uh, long-awaited U.S. strategy towards Sub-Saharan Africa on August 8, 2022. And it detailed a vision for a 21st century U.S.-Africa partnership. And it begins with a commitment to African agency and calls for work toward a more flexible regional architecture. So could you tell us what this exactly means and what the overarching goal of this strategy is? That is a wonderful question. As a matter of fact, the uh, new uh, Biden-Africa strategy, I think, uh, is uh, seeking to revitalize uh, the ties with Africa, as I pointed out uh, in an article with my colleague Whitney. And the uh, Africa strategy has four pillars. So uh, it builds uh, on uh, fostering openness and open societies, uh, delivering democratic and security dividends, advancing pandemic recovery and economic opportunities, and finally, supporting uh, conversation uh, conservation, uh, climate adaptation, and a just uh, energy transition. So in terms of fostering uh, openness and open uh, society, uh, the U.S. is really committing to work with African partner to uh, transparently leverage resources and to combat also uh, digital authoritarianism, strengthen independent judiciary, amount uh, order. Those engagements are extremely important uh, per my research. Um, I found out that more open, accountable uh, societies and governments uh, generate uh, faster economic growth uh, and better human uh, capital, uh, inclusive development among others. So when we speak about the second pillar of the Biden strategy, Africa strategy uh, on delivering democratic and security dividends, it is clear that uh, when we observe the new political development uh, in uh, uh, countries such as uh, Mali, Guinea, 
Burkina Faso, Sudan, a mound order. Uh, there is no prosperity without uh, stability, without security. Um, so I was very excited to see that that question was brought back uh, as a priority. Uh, the, the, the notion of democratic promotion, but also conflict mitigation uh, and uh, prevention, so among others. Advancing economic recovery and economic opportunity is the third pillar. So uh, as you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has had a damaging, incredibly damaging impact uh, on uh, the continent, whether we speak about economic consequences, social consequences. So the support uh, to really uh, address uh, the, the challenges faced by African countries uh, due to the pandemic and now to the uh, Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict uh, will really make a difference. And with the final pillars, uh, the, the question of con, uh, conservation, climate adaptation, and just energy transition. Now we are going to COP, um, COP27 uh, starting next month. So I think it is ex extremely important for the U.S. to underscore the increased support for development assistance and financing to achieve uh, goals related to uh, reduce the impact of climate change on the continent, but also unlock the energy potential uh, on the continent. So those are broadly speaking uh, some of the pillars which I think are extremely important when uh, well articulated. And now the difference will really be on how they could be successfully implemented. How the U.S. could really leverage trade, investment, prosper Africa, but also build on bipartisanship to uh, transform those ideas, those pillars uh, into reality for a mutual benefit of uh, both uh, U.S. and African uh, citizens. Right, and it seems like... Um based on your comments, it seems like this is a step in the right direction. And I, I definitely want to talk later about how this might look in practice. But first, I want to ask you, how have um, previous presidential administrations positioned themselves um, to Africa and Africa's strategy? So how, how does the Biden administration's Afri Africa strategy differ from previous administrations? So that is a wonderful question. So the first thing that I want to highlight uh, is that under the Biden administration, we have seen an, in a, an incredibly high uh, level and frequency uh, of engagement. Uh, this is key because uh, diplomacy is also about uh, symbol, it's about respect, it's about partnership uh, among other. Secretary of uh, State Antony uh, Blinken, for example, has uh, visited with his team, uh, conducted a, a, a recent trip with, uh, visiting South Africa, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Rwanda, discussing many issues, and that is when 
the uh, Africa strategy was also um, uh, launched. The previous administration, uh, the Trump administration, also did develop an African strategy. Uh, and per my conversation with many of the, uh, with various stakeholders, including um, African uh, leaders and, uh, and business people, the challenges uh, at, the t- at the time were that Africa did not seem to be at the top of the priority uh, of uh, the previous administration. Plus, some of the comments which were made by the uh, former president that I will not be sharing here, <laughs> so were also uh, considered as not really respectful from the African side. So I don't want to say that the, Afri- the previous administration did not do anything. For example, Prosper Africa, which was launched was by the previous administration, by the Trump administration, is truly the first attempt uh, of, of the U.S. Uh, government to harmonize its action across agencies to improve uh, trade and investment between Africa and the United States. So, uh, but also... Uh, the the African part was expecting more uh, concrete projects uh, and more implementation and not just a big policy announcement. So I think that is one of the core differences with that we have when the Biden administration arrived, they engaged right away with a high level uh, African officials and the conversation has been ongoing between Uh, both parts at the very high level uh, with visits, which were also made in the past. I think those were some uh, good sign uh, of uh, collaboration, of partnership, of respect. Well, on the the other side, for for the other administration, although they develop a strategy, uh, many have uh, questioned the, the level of implementation of that strategy. And in addition, uh, so some comments which were made were not necessary in nature of nurturing the relation between uh, Africa and the and the U.S. So we see that the trend has been reversed uh, uh, since uh, President Biden uh, came to power, and under the Biden administ- uh, under the um, Obama administration. We also had numerous uh, initiatives uh, such as Yali, Mount Order. So we can clearly see that uh, the positive dimension uh, of U.S.-Africa engagement is that we have a bipartisan support in the Congress. Um, uh, of the, we have whether we speak uh, about the House or the Senate, um, the uh, various. Uh, institutions are really committed to at least one of the topics where there is a convergence of perspective, not all the time, but on average, more convergence uh, than uh, than dissensus. So as you said, we're seeing this like notably high level of harmonization and frequency placed on engagement with Africa by the Biden administration. So my next question would be, why are policymakers focusing on Africa now? And more broadly, what's the continent's place in U.S. foreign policy? So 
Africa is an incredible continent. You have probably read many of my articles related to the question. Uh, by 2050, uh, the combined consumer and business spending in Africa will exceed 16 trillion US dollar. By the end of the century, Africa will have about um, 40%, up to 40% of the global population. So we really have a, a phenomenal uh, opportunity for the U.S. Uh, to position itself on the long run as a key partner uh, for Africa. So Africa is a young continent. More than half of the population is below the age of 25. We have a fast urbanization. Africa is also embracing the fourth industrial revolution, digital transformation, emerging technologies, and for example, we also have the African Continental Free Trade Area, uh, which was adopted in 2018. A sufficient number of countries um, ratified the AFCFTA in 2019, was um, supposed to be officially launched uh, in July 2020, but was slightly postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic and was launched on January 1st, 2021. So the African continental free trade area is incredibly uh, significant for the continent and also for the rest of the world. It is the uh, world largest trade uh, organizations after the World Trade Organization uh, and since the creation of the World Trade Organization. Per, of course, we speak here in terms of number of countries. So the AFCFTA uh, is also unique to unlock Africa potential because when African countries trade with one another, more than 42% of the products that they are exchanging a transformed product compared to when Africa trade with the rest of the world, only about 17% uh, of the products which are, uh, uh, which are exchanged uh, are transformed. So the AFCFTA here really offer a unique opportunity also uh, that the U.S. has acknowledged. For example, I testified before uh, the House recently on uh, providing some update on the AFCFTA and how the U.S. can better support uh, the agreement. But I also discussed earlier uh, testifying before the U.S. Senate, uh, sharing my perspective on uh, how uh, U.S. trade and investment with Africa could further be unlocked. So, so this is also a particularity of the Biden administration. We see more opportunities which are given to engage uh, at the highest level to provide and share options uh, to improve U.S.-Africa relations. And so how can this regional strategy of the Biden administration towards, as you just described, the like powerhouse of a continent that is Africa, maybe be understood within the context of great power competition with China. So would you say it represents an attempt to step away from that narrative and prioritize Africa as an entity in its own right, to some extent, or maybe not? 
So I think that the Biden administration has a genuine interest for uh, a genuine interest in Africa for Africa and also for U.S. Africa relation, which is first independent of of the competition uh, with other uh, players such as China or the uh, Russia among others. So having said that, we are living in a complex and interconnected world. So, and it is normal for a policymaker uh, to take into consideration various uh, dynamics when uh, the policymaking process uh, is being finalized. So uh, it will not be surprising to have uh, uh, Russia uh, and China mentioned but also because as players on the continent, their, their, their action can either strengthen or weaken uh, perhaps some of the uh, aspiration that uh, U.S. Uh, and African leader may have, or African citizens uh, as well uh, may have. So on one hand, I think there's a genuine interest, and I think uh, the, the policies which are developed are developed first and foremost for U.S.-Africa relation in the U.S.-Africa context and dynamics. But on the other hand, I also understand, and it is clear that I will, it will be surprising uh, for anyone to say that while designing the U.S.-Africa strategy, the Biden administration has not uh, considered what was done by other emerging players. And, and if they have not, I will be concerned. So I think it's normal for them to consider what other players uh, are doing, how they can position the, themselves better than those players. But while they're doing so, the, the, the goal is uh, less to counter uh, other players than to build a better relation, a better partnership between Africa uh, and the United States. So I want to go back to uh, two of the pillars that you talked about um, and fostering economic opportunity and supporting a just climate transition are two of these pillars. And I think they intersect in many respects, primarily investment. So my question is, what role do private investors have in this strategy and how can the Biden administration encourage U.S. companies to invest in the region? Yeah, this is a wonderful question. So I think that um the uh, and i deeply believe in the private sector led development and the uh, biden administration has left enough room also for the private sector uh, to be a key a key player uh in uh, the implementation of this strategy uh among order and similar the, on the african side what people hope uh expect uh it is probably less policy, more investment, more trade, more outcomes. So on both sides, there's an appetite for trade, for investment, for private sector commitment, uh, amount order. So now, in implementing the strategy, and I think this is connected to both the role that uh, the uh, private sector will play, but how the U.S., will also further refine uh, its uh, strategy and provide a tool for successful implementation. Because ultimately, we should not forget that what matter beyond the strategy uh, uh, is the successful implementation 
of the strategy, the delivery, both for Africans and for uh, Americans. And uh, in a piece which will be released soon, so uh, uh, Whitney and I have identified many uh, recommendations that we have that we will be making for the U.S. government. So the first one is to promote regional integration by supporting the implementation of the African Continental Free Trade Area. And, uh, and to help support that implementation, the U.S. can really help facilitate information sharing amongst U.S. multinationals, especially educating U.S. companies on the potential benefits of investing in African countries and on how increased regional integration uh, on the African continent will also lead uh, to uh, changes in the demand for regionally sourced uh, product. So uh, that is a, a key component, a key dimension. And the United States can also uh, promote uh, uh, regional integration by investing in sectors that will accelerate the effort um, for the AFCFTA, especially some of those sectors which contribute to closing the digital and physical infrastructure gaps, as well as the human uh, capital gaps. So you say there's no trade without businesses, without production, without uh, manufacturers, uh, a mound order. So it's also important, we have, many have spoken about the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act. So a second recommendation could be to renew uh, and expand uh, AGOA preferences in a way that will support African economic regional integration in tandem with the AFCFTA. Uh, because the um, AGOA has been the backbone of the U.S.-African commercial relationship for nearly a quarter of century. So by providing countries with access to U.S. markets through tariff-free provisions, AGOA has led to hundreds of thousands of jobs and has used uh, trade to stimulate economic development. So with Legislation set to expire in 2025, I think it should be modernized in, uh, in many ways. I'll be happy to eventually come back on, on, on some of those ways, but they include um, reciprocity, governance, uh, amount, uh, order. So uh, the third key recommendation is really to expand Prosper Africa to focus on areas on, of competitive uh, and comparative advantage and address information and coordination challenges. So it is clear that it is a great need for the US to disseminate information about the rapid changes in business opportunity in African countries. I myself mentioned uh, some of the key trends by 2050, including also by 2030, uh, the combined consumer and business spending will exceed uh, $6.7 US trillion for more than 1.7 uh, billion people. And by 2050, the, that combined consumer and business spending will exceed $16 trillion US dollar. So it is clear that Prosper Africa can help coordinate and regularly update information on why and how investment in African countries 
is mutually beneficial and uh, information that has historically been, let's say, difficult to acquire by many U.S. companies. So U.S. companies are not as well informed about the phenomenal potential uh, African uh, uh, countries and businesses uh, have. So another dimension, a, a fourth uh, recommendation could be to partner with African leadership to promote an enabling business environment. And so the U.S. government could therefore foster enabling environment both through data collection and capacity building uh, strategies. And uh, in so it is possible to play a role in developing a new index uh, that is uh, that could be similar to what was done before, uh, but more robust than the World Bank is of doing business ranking and Power Africa enabling environment tracker. And probably let me finish uh, with uh, the recommendation on focusing on share priority. That is extremely important, especially strengthening and expanding programs that generate jobs and economic opportunity for young people and for women. So the young population in Africa is estimated to exceed 2 billion by 2050. So that is a phenomenal number, just young, the young population. Uh, uh, contributing, therefore, in, uh, to uh, the estimate that one in four people on the planet uh, will live in Africa by this time as well. So I told you that by uh, the end, uh, of the century, up to forty percent, but by twenty, uh, up to forty percent of people living in the world will be African. But by twenty fifty, uh, about a quarter of people living in the world will be African. So unemployment is seated uh, as a top concern for young people, both in uh, the U.S. and in. Uh, numerous African countries, sub-Saharan African countries, making job creation a shared priority that the United States can contribute to. And, of course, programs such as uh, the uh, Young African Leaders Initiative and International Visitor Leadership Program should clearly be expanded along with other exchange programs. Uh, such as the one for medical professionals that could also contribute to uh, capacity building uh, in African countries. So the, the U.S. Department uh, of State could also expand uh, the Young African Leaders Initiative to feature technological skills and ICT entrepreneurial training uh, as uh, a main component. So as you can see, this is clearly a phenomenal uh, potential to uh, successfully implement the U.S.-Africa strategy to expand horizons and to generate inclusive and share prosperity between uh, the United States and uh, African countries. And finally, to conclude, we really wanted to look 
past the strategy as you've started doing and to the future. So this past July, as we know, President Biden announced that he would host an African Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C. in December of this year. And the administration came out with this strategic document we've been discussing throughout this podcast in August. So in the time before the summit and going into the summit, what should the administration work on and what tangible outcomes could we expect to come from the summit, especially and specifically within the context of our conversation about Biden's strategy? Absolutely. That's an important point. I think all the recommendations that I have just made now <laughs> are key priority for the summit. I think those questions should be discussed with tangible uh, goals uh, and outcomes to be measured. So they will facilitate the implementation because, again, as I mentioned before, a strategy is a strategy. And what makes a difference is how successfully implemented the strategy could be. So I have uh, shared uh, at least five key recommendations on how the Biden administration can really seize the opportunity of meeting with African leaders to have those conversations to be tangible in bridging the gap between the, the, policy the policy intention that they have shared with the strategy and the implementation outcomes. Uh, because uh, both African and American businesses are looking for uh, outcomes. So they want uh, tangible results. So I think this is my, so, so those were my key recommendations on how the Biden administration can further enhance. So, so one thing I, I may say though, is that more investment, more trade opportunities and less uh, a big announcement. So we want so the, the time of this summit is a time of partnership, of collaboration, of deals, closing deals, of advancing uh, uh, the uh, investment, advancing trade, advancing inclusive prosperity. That will just happen after COP. How also to build a greener uh, relation between the U.S. and Africa, but also a greener economy in Africa, in partnership with the U.S. So, so I think those are what uh, I recommend, but also what I will expect. By the end of the summit, I will assess the summit by, its, um, uh, by the concrete commitments which will have been made by the deals, which will have been also closed or at least uh, advanced, for which the conversation will substantially advance during the summit. Well, yes, let's hope that these announcements come to fruition. And I want to thank you for such a great conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Hopkins podcast on foreign affairs. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to say thank you to the International Studies Program at Johns Hopkins University and the SNF Agora Institute at Johns Hopkins University for making this episode possible. Remember to follow us on social media at Hopkins POFA on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for the latest and greatest of Hopkins POFA content. Hit follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, and leave a rating. We'll see you next time.